Hello again, and welcome back to the Prophets Project. The fifth chapter of the book of Yeshua begins after the nation of Israel has crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, and they have constructed a monument in Gilgal on the western bank of the river in celebration of the miracle of their crossing. At this point, we learn that the kings of the Emori and Canaanite nations in the land hear about the upcoming conquest and fear what awaits them. At this point, God commands Yoshua to do something remarkable, to make a special sword and to circumcise all the male members of the nation. We learn that the generation of Israelites who died out in the 40 years in the desert were never circumcised. And with this act, Yoshua was to revive the ritual of circumcision, of Brit Milah. After this, the nation brings the Korban Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, to celebrate their exodus from Egypt 40 years earlier. And at this point, the nation, at first, temporarily, settles in Gilgal, in the new land, and they eat from the grain of the land. At this point, God declares to Yoshua, Hayom galoti et cherpat mitzrayim me'alechem. Today I have rolled from upon you the humiliation of your experience in Egypt. Today, meaning the day on which you've renewed these two central rituals of belonging to the nation, the ritual of milah, of circumcision, and of Korban Pesach, and this day when you finally achieved some sort of rootedness in your promised land, the beginning of the promise God made to the people. However, in this installment of the podcast, what I'm going to focus on is actually the last three psukim, the last three verses of this chapter, which is this encounter that Yoshua has with a divine being. I'm going to read them carefully. First, Pasuk Yud Gimel, 13. Vayhi bihiyot Yoshua biyiricho, vayisa enav vayar, vihine ish omed lenegdo, vicharbo shalufa biyado, vayelech Yoshua elav, vayomer lo halanu ata imlitzarenu. At this point, it was when Yoshua was in the city of Yericho, which we're going to learn in the next chapter is the first battle the nation undertakes. Yoshua lifts his eyes and he sees a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Yoshua goes to this man and says to him, Are you with us or are you with our enemies? Yoshua is in a military mindset now. He's preparing for battle, for the conquest of the land. And he's clearly thinking in a guarded way. He sees an unfamiliar person bearing a sword, and he immediately assumes the worst demands to know this man's allegiance. And the phrase that he uses when you translate it actually is an idiom we're familiar with uh, in one way or another. Friend or foe, or are you with us or against us? Perhaps recently we're most familiar with this from a number of comments made by the former president George W. Bush in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks. Specifically, there was a September 20th, 2001 address that President Bush made to a joint session of Congress. And of course, this address was televised as a message to the nation, a nation afraid and under attack. In this speech, the president announced new wide-ranging security measures to prevent future attacks. He announced a renewed determination to defeat the Al-Qaeda enemy. And he sent out a rallying cry for allies around the world to join in their upcoming fight as they invaded Afghanistan and sought to take down the Al-Qaeda enemy. Now listen to this clip from the speech, and note especially the reaction that President Bush receives 
after using the idiom we just learned. And we will pursue nations that provide aid or safe haven to terrorism. Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. day forward, any nation that continues to harbor or support terrorism will be regarded by the United States as a hostile regime. You are either with us or you are with the terrorists. It's quite a bold statement. President Bush is saying here that not only are those who disagree with his plan on the side of Al-Qaeda, but even all of those who don't actively take up arms with the United States to invade Afghanistan they may as well be supporting the terrorists. He went on to make uh, comments in one form or another saying you're with us or with the terrorists throughout the war of terror years in various public statements. Now, this may reflect a worldview of supreme confidence. I know the answer to the problem. Whoever doesn't agree with my approach with invading Afghanistan, it must be that they're supporting Al-Qaeda. Or perhaps it's not a coherent worldview that President Bush expressed, but a reflection of the anxieties of the moment, of being in the immediate aftermath of such a crisis, the greatest attack on American soil in American history, the president had to take decisive action to respond to the terrorists. Making this sort of decision with, with these stakes requires thinking with utmost confidence and projecting outward that sort of confidence to the world. This moment of anxiety, of of uh, projecting confidence, that may have also been what drove Yeshua on that, on that day in Yericho, about to undertake the mission, the divine mission to conquer the Holy Land for the people. Now I'm going to continue by reading the next Pasuk. This is number 14. And the, the man responds to Yehoshua. Vayomer lo, ki ani sar tseva Adonai atavati. The man said, No, for I am an officer of the army of God. Now I have come. And Yeshua fell upon his face to the earth and bowed before the man and said to him, Before the angel, that is, now we know, and said to him, What does my master speak to his servant? In other words, what is your message for me? So the answer that, the, that this figure gives to Yoshua is really quite striking. He says, no. Now, remember that Yoshua's question was not a yes or no question. It was, are you with us or are you with the enemies? Saying no seems to be a rejection of the question. Now, some commentators, when they read this verse, tried to skirt the issue. For instance, the Menchat Shai, Rabbi Yedidia Shlomo Raphael Nortzi, a 16th century commentator from Italy, read that he, he didn't read it himself. He noted an old manuscript that he saw, which probably based upon a passage in Eruvin 63b, changed that word lo, lamed aleph, to be read as lo, lamed vav. In other words, it would say not, and he said no, but 
and he said to him. This reading seems to read the word lo out of the pasuk altogether and remove the importance of what sounds like the angel rejecting the question. Similarly, the Mitzudat David, Rabbi David Altschuler, a 17th century commentator from Poland, he reads more words into the response. He says, when the angel says no, it's, no, I didn't come to help the enemies of Israel, Israel, for I am an officer of God's army. Obviously, I'm here to help God's chosen people. Now, it's quite a clever reading, but it doesn't seem to be, to me at least, to be the import of the angel's message. On the other hand, you have the Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi, from the 12th and 13th centuries in Provence. He read the word low as, no, I am, you got it all wrong when you asked me what side I'm on. I'm not a fighting man like you. I'm not a soldier. I'm not a participant in your earthly conflict. Rather, I am a divine being. He's rejecting the premise that he is on either side. Um, taking this further, Rabbi Joseph Herman Hertz, the chief rabbi of the Commonwealth in the first half of the 20th century, he wrote as follows, and I'm quoting directly from his commentary. The answer is somewhat obscure. Apparently, he meant that in the wider designs of God, there is no partiality for any people. The victory of the one and the defeat of the other are both part of the pattern of his lofty purposes. The rabbi makes quite a bold, potentially controversial statement. He says the angel is rejecting Yeshua's question by declaring that God is neutral. God is not partial to any people and therefore has no, has no side in any human conflict. Now, I think that is probably an untenable reading in the course of Tanakh, which is really a, a tradition, a collection of works about God choosing a nation and God ushering that nation into the promised land, God making a covenant with that nation. It's hard for me to suddenly read a statement in the fifth chapter of Yeshua saying that God is not partial to any people. However, I do think that um, the Radak and Rabbi Hertz have a really interesting reading here. Perhaps the angel, when he responds to Yeshua in that tense moment, is trying to give a message of calm down. Don't assume, don't automatically demand that I take sides. Don't assume that any person you see has to take sides. I think the angel is communicating to Yeshua and to all the future generations who come to study this text that there's a certain danger in approaching the world, and especially in apprehending the unfamiliar through this prism of with us or against us, through this, I, through this notion of, of perpetual polarizing conflict. Now with that, I'm going to turn to the last verse in the chapter, Tetvav 15. The angel once again responds to Yehoshua. Yehoshua asked what the message, what the message is. Vayomer sar tzva Adonai el Yehoshua, Shal na'alcha me'al raglecha, ki ha'makom asher ata umeid alav kodeshu. Vaya'as Yehoshua ken. And the officer of God's army says to Yehoshua, Remove your shoes from upon your feet, for the place upon which you stand is sacred. And Yehoshua does that. And with that, the chapter ends. Now, the angel didn't actually deliver much of a substantive message to Yehoshua. The last thing he says here is, remove your shoes. And we may remember this, this bit about the shoes from a previous encounter in the third chapter of Shemot, when Moshe is encountered by God through the burning bush. At that moment also, God said, 
Because of this encounter between the divine and the human, this place has been turned sacred, a place of revelation. And in such a place, you cannot continue to wear your shoes. So it's clearly a powerful moment and speaks to the rarity and the sacredness of revelation. But what I thought of, what I would like to turn to now, is a song by Regina Spector. Now, I'm a really big fan of the musician Regina Spector. And for those of you who don't know, Regina grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family and was raised in an Orthodox community and Orthodox schools. And she wrote and performed this song called The Ghost of Corporate Future. Now, in this song, I hate to explain a song, but I'm only going to give you a small clip from it. In this song, there's a businessman who is visited by this incorporeal being called the ghost of corporate future. And the ghost brings him a message of doom, warning him that if he focuses, focuses on nothing but his work, on pursuit of wealth, and fails to appreciate joy in life, to be loose, to, to relax, to appreciate family, then he will never know happiness, and he will one day come to regret it all. Now, listen to this clip. subway platform he takes off both of his shoes he steps right into somebody's fat loogie and everyone who sees him says ew everyone who sees him says ew but he doesn't care cause last night he got a visit from the ghost of corporate future the ghost said take off both your shoes whatever chances you get especially when they're wet he also said the ghost said take off both your shoes now, when I first heard this song, this really struck me. I couldn't help but think that somebody schooled in Jewish schools, somebody who studied Tanakh and was familiar with its stories, when dreaming up this tale of an encounter with this, with this immortal being, the first words out of that creature's mouth in its encounter with a human have to be, take off both your shoes. It's simply the template that we know from Shemot, that we know from Yehoshua. But what she does with it is really quite brilliant. The ghost says, take off both your shoes, whatever chances you get. What the ghost is communicating to this businessman is take off your shoes, experience life in the free, in the casual way. Um, take off both your shoes goes from being a statement of the sanctity of the meeting to a substantive message. Um, what she did is really quite brilliant with, with uh, this moment from Shemot and from Yehoshua. Uh, it's not quite a social movement, you know, the mission of this podcast, but certainly a powerful social critique. Now, thank you for joining me again. And next time, we will address the sixth chapter of Yehoshua, the story of victory over the city of Yericho.